the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We talk about issues of the day from a Christian perspective every day in our show. It's always good to be with you. You know, the issues of the day are tough. And I wanted to talk about real compassion because I think it's it's harder and harder in a society that makes claims about compassion and might even have a motive that is meant to be compassionate, but in the end is often not compassionate. And you're never compassionate when you provide a situation for people to continue to allow their sin to destroy their life. That is my opinion. Whether you're a parent or whether you are a teacher or whether you're the government, you know, when we don't address things that people do that are harmful or when we don't address the lawlessness in our society, and then it leads to people being harmed who otherwise would not be harmed, right? There's things that happen. There's natural disasters. There's crime that's going to be part of any society. None of it's good, but a civilization should have things in place to stop that from happening. One of the big stories today is a uh, illegal migrant in Georgia murdered a young student at uh, the University of Georgia. And uh, that's all over the news today for a few reasons. And the main reason is because not only did this person come into the country illegally and then was detained and then was let go, but apparently they went to New York City and uh, they were arrested and uh, for potential violent crimes, and then they were released. And then they made their way down to Georgia, and this person is about 26 years old, went on the campus of University of Georgia and killed a young woman. And it's it's brutal. It is what he did to her, allegedly, is uh, horrific. Her murder is horrific. And it's on the minds of many people because you think of your own kids when that happens. And, you know, I think one of the things is is that people get murdered a lot, right? And so there's a tension about does it make any difference that this person was here illegally or not? Because it could have happened with somebody who was a citizen, right? It happens. I'll tell you what that uh, that tension is, though. I, and I, I know somebody personally who lost their daughter to uh, an accident with an illegal immigrant. So somebody who's here illegally killed their daughter. But in this particular case, it was an accident. And uh, it was a vehicle accident. And their daughter's partially to blame. Now, this person was driving illegally. They're here illegally. They are operating a vehicle illegally. And they were probably speeding uh, a little bit, but kind of speeding the way everybody sort of does, right? It's not an excuse, but it's what people do. And in this case, it could have been anybody driving down there. It was kind of a normal thing that is tragic that happens. And yet I'll tell you this, that, and this is true whenever there is somebody here who is illegally, or if there's somebody who maybe 
who was paroled early or let go or they were they were given no bail and they're a violent crime criminal and they go out and commit more crimes or somebody who steals and they were caught and they were let go. Like we're dealing with this tension all through our country right now is whether or not we should prosecute or imprison or detain or do whatever with criminals. And so the, the problem is, is when those people go out and commit a crime, when somebody's here illegally and they murder somebody, you can't, or they just kill somebody even accidentally, you cannot help as the victim's family or friends, but think, but for our laws being kept, this would never have happened. Like you can't help but think, hey, this isn't like a, a something we didn't see coming. You you think, and you can't get rid of this. You cannot get rid of the thought that said, hey, if we actually had good border laws, my daughter would still be alive. You can't. You can't get rid of the thought that says, hey, you know what, if we actually prosecuted criminals, uh, my kid would still be alive or my shop would not have been robbed or whatever the injustice is. In, when there is an injustice on the other side, where it's injustice is both ways, it's the evening of the scales. But when people who commit crimes are not punished for that crime, or they don't do, you know, fined or imprisoned or detained or whatever the case is, whatever is just, when that's not done, and especially when nothing is done, and then that person does more of that crime or worse crimes, it's an incredible injustice. It is not just, it is not fair, and it makes these things even worse. When we have people who um, endorse the sanctuary cities, and that's what a big issue is right here, because New York is a sanctuary city. And uh, the New York Police Department, somebody said, we don't have records of this guy, but the federal agency, the ICE uh, organization, they do. They say, no, you arrested him, and before we could get there, you let him go. And that's part of the policy. The part of the sanctuary city idea is, we're not going to cooperate with the federal government's immigration laws, and we don't have to because we're a state. It's kind of one of those states' rights issues, and it does get a little bit complicated. The courts have ruled differently on this, on whether or not your local government has to participate in it. Okay, um, it's it is it gets into the complication of it, but the idea is we don't like the immigration policies in our city, so we're just not going to follow it. And we have a different idea of what ought to be done for people who are here illegally. So we're going to make sure that we do everything so that they are not deported. And even those who are criminals, this is where it really goes off the rails, I think, people who have committed violent acts, sometimes we're going to let them go because we would rather do that than see them get deported. And that is what is outraging people today. This is a clip from, this is Kelly Gertz. He is the uh, mayor of Athens, Georgia, and in a press conference today, which went all sorts of directions. But you can hear the frustration of people. He's trying to shift the blame away from his own work at making Athens a sanctuary city. I've received many calls, many emails, many queries from the press in recent days about this notion of a sanctuary city. And so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. You can look in Georgia statute and you can find a clear definition for a unified government. You can look in contractual language and you can find out exactly what it means to be an SEC institution. Sanctuary city doesn't track with either of those. Now I'm going to stop for a minute because what he's going to do here, and he's gotten a lot of trouble for this, but it's, it's a tactic that is for real. You can Google it and it's out there. The tactic is that a sanctuary city doesn't really exist because you can't define it. 
That's the the tactic. So a sanctuary city, what it is, it's a term that's used to describe a municipality or a jurisdiction that adopts policies to protect undocumented immigrants. All right, so the policies vary, and they do. They're different in different places. But they can include measures that restrict local law enforcement from cooperating with federal immigration authorities. So this, your sheriff or your police department simply won't cooperate with the federal police in this matter or Border Patrol or ICE or whoever it is. Um, sometimes you just don't honor the detainer request. So sometimes the federal government, Border Patrol, ICE will say, hey, you arrested this guy. You need to hold on to him. He's a drug dealer. He's wanted in some other state or he's wanted for this. We're going to come get him. And what cities decide to do is they say, no, we're not going to do that because in general, we don't like the idea of treating people differently who are here uh, without legal immigration status. And the goal of those policies is typically to build trust between law enforcement, local law enforcement and immigrant communities, making sure that undocumented immigrants feel safe and that they can report crimes and they can do whatever job that they're doing and access uh, services, going to the doctor or whatever it is that they need to do and do all that without fear of deportation. That's the whole idea, even though the law says they should be deported, the federal law. And there is a a movement of compassion that leads to this, okay? The idea is, hey, you know what? Probably people are here, and this is probably true of most, certainly not all, though, um, and they're here because uh, they're looking for a better life, and we want to be on top of that. And that's definitely true for a lot of people. This is the same uh, mayor, by the way, uh, when he was testifying and talking about making Athens, Georgia, a sanctuary city. This is what he had to say. The Athens-Clark County Unified Government is welcoming to people from all lands and backgrounds and strives to foster a community where individuals and families of all statuses feel safe, are able to prosper, and can breathe free. See, and that's the whole, you know, that sounds nice, right? That sounds compassionate, and for many people it works, you know, for, for them. But the problem is, is that when you, when you get into this, what do you do about the person who is a violent criminal? What do you do about the person who is here because they are escaping whatever the justice system is in the country they're coming from? And the reason they're in trouble in their own country is because they're a murderer, or because they did something horrible, or they're a drug dealer, or whatever. See, we used to have a system where, and I think most people would support this. You can tell me if you think I'm wrong. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I think almost everybody would support an immigration system where we welcome people in through a process, a process where everybody who comes into the country is known We know why you're here. We know why you're coming. We know what your name is. And we've done some kind of background check as much as it can be done. And where we used to do this. We did this at Ellis Island. We did this uh, as people came into the country. I'm sure there's always been people sneaking into the country. Uh, And it's just different today because it's so easy. Uh, There's so many more people and it's kind of easy to do that because, you know, it used to be you come into the country, but if you came over in the wrong place, well, you'd walk for days in the desert and you'd die. There'd be no place to go. Well, now there's a lot of border towns and stuff. This is happening at the northern border, by the way, too, in increasing, increasing numbers and people from all over the world. So it used to be uh, just people who live south of the border of us, usually Central America or Mexico, coming over. And that's where a lot of the motivation is for the Sanctuary City movement. started actually in Los Angeles in 1979. I think we were the first. Um, San Francisco was the second. But now you have a situation where you've got people from 160 countries, 168 countries, I think, people who have been coming over and both the southern and northern borders. And you've got people on the terrorist watch list. You've got people who are in gangs. You've got lots of people 
we're talking about thousands of people. So millions of people are coming over illegally. Thousands of them are uh, already dangerous people. And this guy is one of them who does this. It's not compassion to not address this. It is not compassionate to have a system that doesn't do this. So we, we used to have a system where if you came over and you were sick, we'd quarantine you. Uh, if you came over and you had malintent, we'd send you back. You know, if you came over and you were on the terrorist watch list, whatever that would have been, you know, 150 years ago, we would have said, no, you don't get to come in. You go back. And we have that system, but we don't use it when we have these open borders. And so what you have here is uh, the mayor who is trying to 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 walk this back about sanctuary cities, that there is no universal definition of sanctuary policy, which is the idea that says this doesn't really exist. It's not really a thing because it's under attack uh, right now everywhere. Um, You know, even in New York City, uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, is asking that it get modified. Of course they should. Those small numbers that are committing crimes... We need to modify the uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you should be you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Right now, we don't have the authority to do so. See that? Did you hear that? See, he should have said he meant to say. I'm sure he meant to say privilege to live in our city, not a right. Um, but he doesn't have the authority. I want you to listen to that again. This is the sanctuary policy. In New York City, so if you are here illegally and you commit crimes, violent crimes, felonies, listen. Those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Right now... We don't have the authority to do so. So if you're here illegally and you're in New York and you commit a violent felony against somebody, the city does not have the authority to turn you over to the government, the federal government, to deport you. And that's what happened with this guy who murdered this girl in Georgia. He was detained. He was not turned over to the federal government who wanted him. And instead he made his way down to Georgia and then he murdered this person. You can see why this is so outrageous to people. And this will happen more and more often. And what I'm getting at here is it is not compassionate to have a blanket idea where you say you want to be just, and then it turns out it's not just. You, you cross all kinds of lines. People might argue about whether you should have, you know, where that line is. But certainly, if you are committing violent crimes, you should have to deal with that and not be released. And yet, in New York City, you're not, and now this guy killed somebody. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. And I'll play a little bit more as we get to this. I want to get to your calls. But um, you're going to hear the mayor in a minute really try to work out, and you'll hear the the frustration of people who are there in the audience talking to him. I want to get a call here, though. Berta in Winnetka, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Yes, uh, yes, you know, it's right that they come from our countries. I'm from El Salvador, and I see a lot of people who do crimes there, and I think they are here, you know, after they murder people, after they rape, and they come and do the same here. And, uh, 
they just crossed the border back and go back to the country. So they don't pay here, you know what I mean? So it's very bad. It's getting so bad, you know, because our uh, politicians, you know, don't do anything. They should put in jail. They should put them in jail, like, you know. They are criminals. Yeah, nothing is done in those cases in uh, where there is a sanctuary city. There's things done for many. There's still people who get deported, and that happens. But I think a big part of it is is that for some reason we have become against having a robust policy for um, controlling how people come in and out of the country. Because I think I think most people are fine with immigration. We need immigration. There's a lot to be said about how we need our country to grow. If we if we don't grow in the number of people who are here legally, then we're not going to be able to pay for Social Security. We're not going to be able to pay for Medicare. We're not going to be able. To, we have many problems if we don't grow in our population. Uh, if we don't grow in workers. If we don't grow in taxpayers. There's a whole lot of complicated parts to that. Plus, there's you know something else I don't like about what we're doing is you you build an underclass of people you know, who aren't legal, but so you can pay them nothing. And that creates a whole nother uh, layer of problems also. But thank you for calling, Berta. The number is 888-528-2557. This is falling apart because I think it's meant to be compassionate, but it isn't. So I want you to bring you back to Kelly Gertz. He's the mayor of Athens, Georgia, and he's giving a press conference today trying to explain uh, why these laws are in place and what they mean or don't mean. Those small numbers that... Oh, wrong one. Hold on. Here we go. I've received many calls, many emails, many queries from the press in recent days about this notion of a sanctuary city. And so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. You can look in Georgia statute and you can find a clear definition for a unified government. You can look in contractual language and you can find out exactly what it means to be an SEC institution. Sanctuary City doesn't track with either of those. And so that term means different things to different people depending on the context of the discussion. Uh, Many many of the elements. So right, what's going to happen here is he is going to, he is trying to say that we're not the kind of sanctuary city that you're saying. And that really it doesn't mean anything. And now the people in the crowd are going to call him a liar. Many, many of the elements, many of the elements, we are here to listen. We are here to listen. There will be time for questions. Many of the aspects that are ascribed to sanctuary cities are things that are disallowed by Georgia law. And we contribute a document every year to the Georgia Department of Audits indicating that we do not correspond to these definitions under state law. Yes, you do. And no policies have been adopted by the mayor and commission that have created sanctuary city status in Athens. You need to resign. One protocol that sometimes arises. One protocol. Sir. One protocol that sometimes arises. So it gets uh, pretty hectic from there, and you can hear, you know, people, you know, com- you know, who are passionate about this, and he's trying to he's trying to cover his uh, his backside for a lot of reasons. Um, and part of that is to say, well, you know, we don't follow these rules, or you're attaching all of these, but that's part of the game here. Part of the game is when you just aren't going to obey the law in general, when you're going to say, we're not going to follow those laws. Well, then you can start defining things how you want. Then you can do this and do that, and it's not always well 
described. And when things aren't well described from a legal standpoint, then there's a lot of room to change it or to fudge or to do other things. Point is here is that when we think about compassion, it's not compassionate when your policies lead to justice not being done, whatever you think of it. It's not compassionate to, and it goes in a whole lot of other issues. It's not compassionate to, in my view, to allow people who are homeless and who are drug addicts to continue in their drug addiction by providing those drugs for them so that they can just continue to get stoned. I don't believe that's compassion. It's not compassion to be against recovery, to be in a situation where you think it's okay for people to just destroy their lives um, in a way that, you know, isn't just about them. It's about all of us. It's about everybody. It's not compassionate to have school systems that decide that some people are just incapable of learning, so we're just not going to teach them. We're not going to challenge them. We're not going to change how we go about things. We have a serious problem with what we think compassion is, and this is something that has to change. Compassion is going to take a lot of work. We have, I think we want to be seen as empathetic. We want to be seen as compassionate. But at the end of the day, it's something that has become very much about not in my backyard. You can be compassionate, but we're just not going to do it. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can follow us on social media. Just check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X which is X, uh, TikTok, and now on Rumble, rumble.com. Just look for The Pastor Scott Show. We are, our handle is at Pastor Scott Show on all of those. And uh, check us out there. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I don't believe people who are violent in our city and commit repeated crimes should have the privilege of being in our city. There's some people that feel that they should be able to remain here, keep doing their actions until they eventually um, convicted. I don't subscribe to that theory. That is the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, who is in the process of arguing that the sanctuary city of New York status should be changed so that you can detain and imprison, even deport or give over to the federal authorities, illegal uh, migrants who have committed violent crimes. And it's such a huge deal today because the illegal migrant who murdered the girl, the college student at Georgia, University of Georgia, was detained in New York and was let go. See, and the the motive for letting go is so that the federal government doesn't uh, isn't able to deport. And, you know, a violent criminal and he even points out, you know, there are some who think we should do this. I'm not for letting any violent criminal out there. It's not compassionate. It's all under the banner of compassionate, but it's motivated by other things. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Denise in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Oh, hi, Pastor. I'm so happy to talk to you. This has been long on my heart. Um, you, If you go into Politico right now and you type in Brown Sign Sanctuary State Bill in California, mm. it was actually done in October of 2017. And it was done. Where we became a sanctuary state, actually. 
That's correct. Yes. He signed it in after negotiation. It never came to the vote of the people in California. And when you played that clip of those angry people wanting to know how they became a sanctuary state, good question. And I believe everybody asking this because we didn't get the vote on this. Well, and they were talking about, uh, in that clip, um, they were asking him, because he's the one, when he was mayor a few years ago, who made it a sanctuary city. It's like a sanctuary city and county. It's a it's a, uh, a different thing. And you're right, is that people aren't voting on this. That's a big issue in California anyway, the different things that we're not voting on uh, that are affecting everybody's lives. Exactly. And this is very fascinating, because I did some research on this. I thought, this is too weird. So I went and I did some digging, and um, Jerry Brown is actually a um, a trained Roman Catholic friar, and he actually signed the law into effect on Friday uh, in October, and I did some further digging uh, based on that relationship to his belief, and it was signed into law on St. Joseph Day. And it matches the first line in this political story that says Los Angeles, dash, California Governor Jerry Brown on Thursday signed sanctuary state legislation limiting local law enforcement officials' ability to cooperate with federal immigration authorities. The latest effort by Democrats here to blunt the effects of President Donald Trump's immigration practices. Yeah, it uh, it grew after uh, President Trump took office, of course, because he's going to uh, build the wall and everything. What's interesting is that the majority of people in the country now are in favor of the wall all of a sudden, according to the L.A. Times uh, he, you know, Donald Trump couldn't get Mexico to pay for it, but he might get Biden to pay for it. I think that's kind of an interesting uh, twist in things. Um, I have some knowledge that, you know, I used to work in a large city government here in this state. And uh, through the local library system, they were advocates of protecting uh, illegal immigrants. And I had one of my uh, clients um, tell me on the side that they were told that should ICE come into this public facility, they're not to cooperate. And so this was, uh, you talk about uh, separation of church and state. Um, this is to the demise of the state itself when we're not asked to vote on these things yet are expected to pay for all of this. So I just wanted to share. Yeah, thank you for calling about that, uh, Denise. That's a big thing about, you know, the election, uh, the primary election is Tuesday. And something that happens in our state all the time every state, but we don't pay attention to Sacramento uh, on what's happening up there. You know, she mentioned that Jerry Brown, Governor Brown, um, was Catholic, um, very serious about his faith, I think, that way. And there's, I wanted to mention this, and this is kind of the where I'm headed here with this. For Christians, he would say that as a matter of his faith, he is against uh, deportation of people, that we should welcome immigrants. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about welcoming immigrants and how that works. You know, Leviticus 19, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And there is a lot even from Christian communities that talk about these sanctuary city laws and that they are right and that they are good. Um, and I guess my challenge for any of us who think that, and I'm, I'm, you know, we, in our show, you know, I'll challenge us a lot. You know, we still got to love people who are here. They might be here illegally, but we, we aren't going to let them starve, right? We're not going to do that. How do we do deal with this? And yet I think what happens is we misunderstand what happens in the scriptures. There are people who are traveling through in the Old Testament and they stay and you treat them like family, but then they're going to move on to wherever they're headed, wherever country they're 
migrating to. But then there are people who move in to Israel. And here's the thing that is the piece of that. You could do that, but you had to accept Israel's God. If you wanted to stay, you had to accept the laws of Israel. You had to actually become a citizen and go through that process and pledge your support. And that's something else that we are are missing because we don't control our borders, that we let people in who probably would be refused if we actually met with them, if we actually stayed with them. You know, we shouldn't be letting people, no country should, by the way. You know, if you wanted to move to Iran and you said, you know, if I was going to move to Iran and they'd say, why do you want to move here? And I might have some reason. But then they said, well, will you uphold the uh, the rule of the Ayatollah and uh, become a Muslim? Well, I would say, no, I'm not going to do that. But the thing is, is Iran would then not let me in. That's how that would work. And that used to be the way it worked. I'm not praising Iran here, by the way. I'm just saying that's the way countries do it. That, you know, if you want to come to the United States, there should be a process. And part of that process ought to be you will uphold the laws and you will want to become an American. You will uphold America for what it is that you believe that uh, in the freedoms that we have and where they come from, that they come from God, that we are endowed by our Creator, that there is a spirit of that. In fact, most of you who are listening who are immigrants and you came here in the legal way, um, or some of you came illegally and you got amnesty back in the 80s or there was some other path, you love America. You love what America stands for. Sometimes uh, some of our immigrant uh, listeners have understood our country better than most people, actually. And uh, I think that's fantastic. And we have to go back and say, you know what? Welcoming people and especially being the country we are where we offer freedom, where there's a reason. There's a reason that people come here from all over the world. There's a reason they're not moving into Russia. There's a reason they're not moving into China. There's a reason that people from those 168 countries are coming here. Most of it isn't nefarious. Some of them it is, right? But most of them are looking for a better life. And the way on planet Earth that you find a better life is you come to the United States. That's a good thing about our country. That is a really good thing. But we have to protect that or we will lose it. We have to protect that, those freedoms, or we will lose them. That's the nature of freedom in history, that as soon as you don't protect freedom, freedom is not uh, the, the default position of countries. It's not the default position of cultures. The default is tyranny. The, and tyranny comes to power with the promise of doing good, especially for doing good for the poor. Tyranny comes to power, you know, the Russian Revolution was what? They overthrew the czars? Well, the czars needed overthrowing. They were terrible. But what they instituted there through Leninism, Stalinism later, communism, was probably worse, certainly worse with respect to the number of people who died. And it didn't even last more than uh, just a little more than eight decades. That was it. And now we have people who want to instill that kind of uh, mindset here. People always say, oh, you didn't do it right. That's wrong. It's not compassion. You know, at the same time for believers, you know, we have to take a look at what compassion is because it's not just the border issue. We, you know, why do we have so many homeless? Why is that getting worse and worse? It's because in our state, we have a philosophy called housing first, where we just think, you know, we want to call people the, what's the politically correct uh, term for homelessness now? You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say unhoused. Uh, but that's not correct, right? It's true. They don't have a house. Okay. But 
their problem isn't that they don't have a house most of the time. That might be how some of them began having a problem. But the problems are much, much bigger than that. And so often it's drugs or alcohol or mental illness and things like that. And if you are in a situation where you just want to continue to uh, feed people their addictions, you're not going to help people and it's just going to get worse. We've become a state where homeless people actually come here from all over the country. You know how some of the governors are are busing or flying uh, illegal migrants to the sanctuary cities. Well, other things that some other mayors are doing is putting their homeless people on buses and send them to uh, L.A. and San Diego. Did you know that? Or San Francisco especially. Why? Because we'll pay you to be homeless, you know, and uh, we'll let you do your drugs and everything. Uh, you know, this is uh, Governor Newsom talking about this and this right here in a short, brief statement, I think, has a lot to do with our problems. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. If you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, We all need to self-medicate periodically. What on earth is he talking about? I mean, get this. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. Clean and sober is one of the biggest mistakes our country has ever made. That's not compassion. That that right there, if you want to know why California is in trouble with our homeless people, it's that. It's that we don't want clean and sober. And, uh, you know, he goes on to say, oh, we can just be medicated. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a ha- hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, mi- God bless some of you. I, if you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, we all need to self-medicate periodically. No, no, we don't. There's nothing true about what he just said. In fact, what he just said contributes to the problem. It's one of the worst statements. How long was that? 15 seconds. That right there is not compassionate. It is not right. And it's the same attitude that brings you sanctuary cities, that brings you the homeless problem we have, that brings you bad education, that brings you all of these different problems. My friends, there is something better there is a better way. I'll, we'll come back in just a minute. I want to take your calls. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Follow us on social media at Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. I want to remind you that Ask a Jew, Ask a Christian with Dennis Prager and Dudley Rutherford, who was uh, moderating, and Pastor Alan Jackson, uh, will be March 12th, 2024. Ask a Jew, Ask a Christian is a Jewish-Christian dialogue with Dennis Prager and Alan Jackson. It's at Shepherd Church, Porter Ranch. And uh, you got to get your tickets now. So click on the, go to kkla.com and click on the banner for Ask a Jew, Ask a Christian and uh, get your tickets now, seven o'clock Tuesday, March 12th. That's coming up, uh, what, two weeks from uh, yesterday, I think. And I'm looking forward to being there with you. It'll be a good conversation. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557 is the number. William in Fullerton, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. Hi, William. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you're on the air. You uh, you do an amazing job, and thank you for that. Thank you. I, I, I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments uh you had one caller that called in and mentioned this 
this uh, travesty that Jerry Brown snuck into the state of California at our expense without our knowledge. Uh, and she mentioned that he's a Catholic. Well, some of us know that he's a Catholic in name only or a Sino because he's a Jesuit. And those of, I was raised Catholic. I'm not anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to a different Christian church. But it's uh, the Jesuits have historically been the rabble rousers and the troublemakers. Well, and, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of uh, those kinds of uh, you know differences that people have. But yeah. you know, I would say that he probably in the, in for our conversation, I think that uh, Catholics or Christians or even uh, other people, any other person, when they're talking about sanctuary cities, they see it as being. Uh, uh, compassionate, right? They see these policies and the homeless policies and other things as compassionate. When I when get it, I get it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you are enforcing lawlessness, because that's what the the sanctuary city issue is, we as a state or we as a city, we're just not going to comply with federal law on this subject. That's what we're just not going to do it. Um, and yeah. you, the problem with even that, wrong. the problem is, even if the federal law is morally wrong, There's probably a place for that, but at some point, it doesn't work to just say, we're just not going to do it. Uh, You should change the law then. You should work hard to send your representatives to Washington to fix the law, and that would be a better way to do it. And then, but then, then you have transparency, then the voters are having at least their representatives pay attention to it. Um, And you can flush out maybe whatever compassion compassion issues are there. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. It does. the the uh, the other The other point I wanted to, to bring up is not quite sure uh, where the current president falls as far as uh, comparisons to biblical characters. Uh, some days he's Methuselah, and uh, <laughs> other days he's Caiaphas because Caiaphas loved to drag his opponents into court on false trumped up charges. Well, <laughs> you know, the Methuselah thing is going to make me laugh. He could be. If he gets reelected and he actually remains in office till 86, we'll call him that. Because probably no one's doing that again. William, I appreciate your call. Thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. Uh, yeah, you know, Biden, he had his, uh, he had his uh, physical today. Uh, they didn't do his cognitive exam, though. Right? He's taken that off for Lent or something. 888-528-2557. JT in Huntington Beach. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Pastor Scott, um, yeah, real quickly, I think that there are some solutions to having solved this problem, but we've let it go too long, and people get too emotional, and they don't get very calm and look at this, and a lot of people don't do their homework. Um, Robert Kennedy Jr. was talking recently about bringing the private sector in on these things, and he was pointing out how his dad, when he was attorney general and then a senator, he ran for president advocating uh, jobs and not welfare, bringing the private sector in and giving tax incentives. William F. Buckley complimented Kennedy on that and supported that, and so did Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Jackie Robinson and Richard Nixon. The tragedy is a lot of nobody ever brings these people up anymore and even a lot of Christian conservatives don't do this is what they fail. There's no sense of history. And yet they all advocated the idea that the idea of it's one thing to have a safety net. I think we agree on that. But you cannot create a permanent welfare state because if you do that, even in the Depression, you know, the WPA and the CCC, you had to work to get a check, okay? 
during the, the Roosevelt administration. Mm-hmm. But we've created a society now where we're raising up people, and we and like and Robert Kennedy Jr. is right. You can't just build housing and people in there put people in there if they've had drug problems that affect their mental state. Right. So we need to look at the idea of having brought the private sector in there because what his father was saying was, and Richard Nixon and others at the time were saying, give tax incentives to the to the private sector, you know, because they have to, you know, they have to, uh, you know, answer to the, you know, their shareholders. Yeah. Bring them in there, and then you pay people to work in those in those areas that they're going to live in it, and then they have a stake in it. One last example is Habitat for Humanity, the Jimmy Carter. That's one good thing he did do. I was involved in that. We helped a family build a house, and guess what? The family per- that was live- going to live there was participating in building something they were going to live in. So you've got to give an incentive. Does that make sense, uh, some of the things I'm saying here? I think that one of the biggest problems in all of this is that we have taken out personal responsibility in just about everything, where the government is just going to do it for you. Well, this is what Robert Kennedy said. And he's right. Uh, he was, his father said this when he ran when he ran in 1968. It was tragically he was murdered, and Nixon agreed with him. And, and Robert Kennedy says the idea that the government will do everything is, is, is a fallacy because the government doesn't have all the money in the world to take care of these things. That's why he said it makes sense to give all kinds of incentives and write-offs to the private sector with their ingenuity and brains, bring them in these areas, but consistently, and I'll close here, since that time, how many of Democrats and Republicans have you seen advocate what I'm talking about here? Hardly any. You can count them on your hand. And you know, I think that died because George Bush, George W. Bush, remember, he wanted to bring in uh, churches and other organizations to help with all of these issues, and he wanted them to receive government money. And everybody objected because they said it was separation of church and state, and you can't do that. And he got filleted for that. Uh, well, and, I, and that I is would, the last yeah. I think I've heard anybody actually try it. Well, I'll say this. After Robert Kennedy was killed in 1968, Martin Luther King, and then Nixon left, left, exited the scene with Watergate, no political figures after that except maybe Carter with the Habitat for Humanity. And Reagan agreed with that, that stuff, but none of the political leaders, even before George W. Bush, Clinton didn't do this, or George H., and then you didn't see Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton, the civil rights leaders, advocating this stuff, where Dr. King and Malcolm X did advocate it. So there's been a dropping of the ball for the last 40, 50 years when yeah. you really think of it. I appreciate your call on that, JT. And, and the, the deal is, is that we have given over, we have abdicated our role as citizens and even as the church or even just as people who want to help. We've given that over to the government. And the government does a lousy job. There are certain things the government does a good job at. They do a good job at the military, not as much recently with some of the recruiting tactics, but generally speaking, they're very good at that. Uh, there are certain other things that a federal government does well or a state or city government. They've got to do those things. But taking care of people, the government has never done good, and I mean any government. And the whole argument, by the way, of what the government should do and shouldn't do, that's been written about for centuries. You can go back and read and the disagreements between Plato and Aristotle on what the government's role ought to be. And I'll tell you what, and I'm going to close with this for today. The role of taking care of people always works better when the citizens do it. Always. Whether you're taking care of your family, whether you're taking care of homeless people or people who are sick or people who have drug addictions or immigrants or whatever, there are certain things you need police for, crimes and violent crimes and criminal activity, those things you need government. 
But when it comes to caring for people and meeting needs, it's supposed to be the citizens. And, you know, for those of us who are believers, it's supposed to be a role of the church. You know, not everybody in the society. It's impossible for the church to deal with millions of people coming up over the border. However, there is so much great work that the church does with missions into many of these countries where people are leaving. And if you go, and I've been on these trips, you know why people are coming up here. You, it makes sense. But you also know that the situation is solvable if you deal with many of the problems of poverty that's there. And in our country, there is more that we can do. We can't do everything, but I would say, you know, for your church or for your small group or even just for you, you should ask yourself, what are you doing to help? Um, The government does not give money to, say, the Union Rescue Mission, who does a much better job at taking care of homeless people and helping recovery than uh, most, if not all, of the government associations do with far less money. They do much better. If we gave billions of dollars to the... Uh, missions like that, who teach recovery, who teach Christ, we could resolve a lot of the homeless situation. Not all of it. Some people need, you know, some people refuse care. Some people, uh, the mental issues are very, very significant, but a whole lot could be done. And, you know, when you're dealing with compassion, maybe part of the mistake is, is that we've asked our government to be compassion and it's not the government's role. It's our role. It's the church's role. It's the citizen's role to be compassionate. And compassion isn't always uh, easy because compassion requires us to give uh, the loving no, the hard truth that we have to tell to people that they need to recover, that this behavior is not appropriate, that you need to go back to your country and do it the legal way. Maybe part of compassion is you help people do it the legal way. Uh, But there are so many things to do. Let's see. I'm going to go to Barbara real quick because that's what I'm talking about, and then we'll be done. Barbara, just a couple of seconds. You want to give a shout out? Yes, Pastor Scott. I'm so grateful. Um, I worked 20 years in drug and alcohol rehab downtown. Skid Row Christian Rescue Ministry. No, no, it is all about clean and sober. Absolutely. Because that's how you take the axe to the root. That's how you make a whole person. And it's not um, a dream. It's a real thing. And I know hundreds of people that have been saved. So that is a total lie. We need to rehab people, as you said before, not just house them. And uh, there are places that are laboring every day to get people clean and sober, and yeah. it is God's work, and it's working. And if you want to be involved in something, thank you for calling, Barbara. You want to be involved in something, that, look it up. Maybe you just make a donation to a Christian organization that believes in clean and sober. All right, Pastor Scott Show, we're out for today. Follow us on social media at Pastor Scott Show. Get the podcast, The Pastor Scott Show. See you tomorrow from 3 to 5. Good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.